people through their music. Out of the Box with Joey Watson on FBI 94.5. Good greeting, FBI radio listener. You've tuned in at the right time. Uh, thanks for doing that on radio and on podcast. This show is out of the box every Thursday from midday to one. I get to roll through the records of one person and uh, and talk a bit about the stories behind them, stories from their life. Today, Avani Dias. From southwest Sydney, Avani is weeks away from taking over as the presenter of Triple J's Youth Issues and Current Affairs program, Hack. Avani, like many figures in the Australian media landscape, got her chops up right here at FBI Radio before she spent nearly three years as a reporter in the wild north at ABC Darwin. So Avani, before you become a household name, if you're not already, <laughs> welcome back to FBI Radio. Thanks. I love being here. It's the best. Before it's normalised for you, what's it like uh, being the presenter of a flagship Australian news program. Has your life noticeably changed in the last week? It was pretty scary in the lead up to the the news coming out. I was pretty nervous about how I'd be received by people and stuff like that. And it's one of those things that you don't think about because you're like, oh, you know, I'm just here doing my thing, you know, reporting and stuff like that. And then suddenly um, people are commenting about what you're doing and you're getting all this instant feedback, which is pretty intimidating, but pretty cool as well. Um, and it's been really heartening to see how supportive people have been. I've been really lucky that way in the last week or so. Um, just so many lovely people um, reaching out and giving me a lot of kind words. So um, I'm feeling really grateful at the moment. Not sure how it'll all pan out once I actually kick off in the job, but um, I'm really excited about it. So yeah. Uh, are you into the idea or have you thought about the idea that journalism is one of those weird trades that can bring you fame for the job? It's a craft like any other in many ways, but it's either a byproduct or it, it becomes part of it at some stage. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely not something I've thought about personally, but I've grown up and been trained as a pretty, you know, um, hard news journo, I guess. And I've worked um, through newsrooms at the ABC my whole career. And you're always taught that the story's never about you and it's always about who you're talking to and the stories that you're telling shouldn't centre around you at all. So, you know, I feel like I've somehow been programmed to be like, no, it's nothing to do with you at all. Um, and I, I hope I keep continuing preferencing the voices of young people when I, when I take over this role and giving them that platform. And, you know, it's weird to think that people will know my name or whatever. I don't know. It's bizarre to even think of that, but I just hope they pronounce it cor- correctly. That's my main hope with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a very fair hope. Um, <laughs> How different is the world of of the ABC and Triple J to Liverpool, where you grow up? It's um, it's pretty different. I mean, yeah, I obviously grew up in southwest Sydney near Liverpool, a suburb called Wattle Grove. Um, my parents migrated to Australia when um, my mum was sort of the year that I was born, basically, and they came here from Sri Lanka. But I've always been surrounded by the media. I come from a long line of journalists. Um, my grandpa was a, a journo in Sri Lanka. My mum has worked at the SBS and ABC. So, you know, I was always like during school holidays and stuff playing Nintendo in like empty offices at SBS and stuff with other kids who had um, parents. And sometimes it was kind of 
who had parents at the ABC or SBS. And, you know, sometimes it was kind of boring. You're like, oh, there's like recycled paper to draw on and that's it. Like it's pretty lame. But I've always been surrounded by it. So it's constantly been a part of my life. Um, so I'm pretty lucky that way. But definitely in terms of how you see things reflected, um, you know, walking around Southwest Sydney, going to school in um, Bankstown, you're constantly seeing yourself reflected um, in the multicultural community and things are getting better in the Australian media, but, you know, there's still a long way to go in reflecting the true diversity of Australia, I think. Do you wear that? Is that something that informs your approach to media or something that has kind of just been thrust on you by the nature of your identity? I never used to think about it, but the more I would go out on stories um, as a journalist, um, especially in the early days as a reporter, I'd be the only person of colour often on jobs. And it's a pretty weird feeling to be like, I'm the only person here who's in this position. Um, and, you know, it's not something you're actively thinking about, but it's pretty subconsciously there all the time. Um, and, yeah, I think it's something that I, I hope to change, but I don't think that I'm just going to miraculously do that on my own. I think that we need institutional change and, and I think we are doing that in many different ways. There's a big effort, even in the short span of my career, to make things more reflective of the Australian community and that's so positive to see. Um, but yeah, I do think there's a long way to go in, in actually achieving that. There's a stigma of, of violence surrounding youth culture in Southwest Sydney. I, I, I know you've been following uh, the Drill Rap Group 1-4 quite closely. I've also been following them in a kind of different capacity. Um, and they're from Mount Jordan. Obviously, I don't want to homogenise the Wide West, but in many ways, the, the stigmas are very similar. Is there something in it? Look, I think it's been really amazing to see how well 1-4 are doing. They you know, started off with some pretty rough upbringings, um, living in Mount Druitt in Southwest Sydney, which is about half an hour from where I grew up. Um, you know, they were in and out of gangs and, you know, jail and have gone through impossible violence. And, um, you know, they're living in one of the most impoverished parts of the country, I think you could say. And for them to be able to tell their story on even an international platform is pretty incredible. And, um, you know, what we're seeing with the cancellation of their, their shows, their first national tour is pretty disappointing considering how huge they are and how amazingly they're telling the story of Western Sydney. But as you say, it isn't a, a homogenous place. And, you know, people would be like, oh, you went to school in Bangstown, do you carry around guns? Ha ha ha, you know, and my life could not have been any more different to that of the guys in one four. I had an incredible childhood. Southwest Sydney, the part that I grew up in was amazing. It's just classic suburban life. And, um, you know, my parents would joke that once they went on a week long holiday and accidentally left the door of our, of our house open and no one stole anything, you know, um, that's how safe it was. And, um, you know, there is this negative stigma about Southwest Sydney. And of course, parts of that are true. And we hear those stories told by people like one four, but I think it's important to know that it is an incredible place. It's diverse, not just multiculturally, but in the experiences that people have, there's 
McMansions in parts of Western Sydney and people don't think about that. And I think um, the more that people like One Four are telling stories of Western Sydney um, from all over Western Sydney, the more we'll break down that stigma that it is just one place, which is essentially a war zone because there's a lot to offer there. How do you remember high school? How do you remember Bankstown Grammar is where you went? What was that like? And what sort of student were you? <laughs> um, I loved school. I had like awesome friends there. Um, it was super multicultural and, um, you know, I have three awesome best friends still, um, who I hang out with all the time and we're all the kids of migrants. So we have, we've had a very unique experience growing up. We're not necessarily fully part of our parents' culture and we're not necessarily fully Australian, but we are our own unique, um, you know, first generation migrant or second generation, whatever it is. Um, and it's really awesome to have people like that around you that understand your experiences. Um, Bangstown Grammar was, yeah, super multicultural, an awesome school. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, the classic, I'm sure you had this as well. I don't know. I feel like every journo has the like, was disrupting the class, like every single um, parent-teacher meeting. Um, but yeah, I was pretty into school like I was into debating and public speaking and stuff so you know the classic nerdy activities um but it was a great place to go and you know going to that idea of you know the stigma around southwest Sydney when I was in year 12 um the school voted to um change the name of Bankstown Grammar School to George's River Grammar School because they thought Bankstown had negative connotations um and I was a school captain at the time and I was like no we need to stay at with Bangstown Grammar, that's who we are and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. But they changed the name and, um, you know, I think it's a shame, but it's still a really awesome school and I'm proud to have gone there. So Bankstown River represent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what can we play first, uh, Abony? What, what do we want to play for Liverpool and growing up? So I... It's so hard, Joey, to like actually choose five songs that represent everything about you. But, um, you know, I think Sprawl 2 by Arcade Fire, which we're about to play, is an amazing track. The Suburbs' controversial opinion, I think, is the best Arcade Fire album. Um, they're an amazing band. They were part of that sort of, um, you know, going through high school, discovering Triple J, discovering FBI and learning about the awesome music that was out there and realising that it's not just, you know, the stuff that you hear on commercial radio. Um, but this album in particular was so awesome. I don't know if you've seen, but there's an interactive video clip for We Used To Wait, which was like the the breakout single for this album. And you put in your home address and it um, shows you like Google street maps and you're kind of taken through on this journey of the song through your own childhood street. And it's so awesome. I remember it totally blew my mind, but this album, um, it's a great album and it talks about growing up in the suburbs. It talks about that suburban, amazing life that, you know, can be really crap, but can be really great. Just punch the clock. These days my life has no purpose. But late at night the feelings 
how do you take that nostalgia, FBI radio listener, uh, from the uh, childhood memories uh, and musical awakening of Avani Diaz? Uh, and, and many, no doubt, uh, Avani is my guest on Out of the Box today. She's also the new host of uh, Triple J, Triple J's uh, News and Current Affairs program, Hack. Avani, what do you know about your family's life in Sri Lanka before they migrated to Australia? Um, we go back every few years. We have a, you know, my grandma's over there, my uncles and aunties. I have heaps of cousins there and it's pretty cool kind of driving past the places where my um, parents grew up and things like that. Um, you know, my parents were neighbors and they met when they were 16 and they've been together since then, which is crazy. Um, but you know, it, it's humid, it's hot, it's tropical, it's, um, you know, it's a small island, Sri Lanka. There's beautiful beaches, temples. Um, but, you know, for 30 years it was going through a pretty brutal civil war um, between the Tamil population, which lives mainly in the north of the country versus the Sinhalese majority, which um, my parents are a part of. Um, and, you know, it, it was... A long war, it was something that really took a toll on people there. And I think, um, you know, there there was a lot of bloodshed and, you know, there's not much more you can really say about it, but you can still see the effects of that. I mean, it started because the British colonized Sri Lanka and brought, um, brought in the southern Tamil population from India into Sri Lanka. And, um, you know, that kind of division caused, yeah, a, a very long, tragic part of Sri Lanka's history. Um, they only got out of it recently in about 2009. And, um, you know, it's been amazing to see the country go from strength to strength. A lot of people that I know, my friends, wouldn't have even known where it was on the map when I told them about it. Um, and now most of my friends are traveling there because it's just such a great place to go. But recently there was some bombings again on Easter Sunday this year, which took the the country back a few steps again, which was really sad to see. But yeah, my parents, I think they lived a really good life there. They, um, my, my grandpa was a journalist. Um, you know, my grandma, my dad's mom was a teacher. Um, you know, they, they lived your classic life. Um, it's pretty shambolic over there, but it's a really awesome place to live. But I think ultimately, like many migrants, they wanted to give their their kids a a better life and um a better education um so they decided to come to sydney did did war impact your family directly i mean obviously being in a war-torn country has all sorts of implications it's almost inescapable i'm sure but 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 were you were you growing up with stories of war and how it affected the individuals in your family mum or dad beyond that I think that um, it's impossible not to know about it and to grow up around it. Um, it's always been a, a part of, you know, growing up because my my family's obsessed with the news. My grandpa would be constantly listening to the news, following politics, um, my parents as well, my uncles, everyone, um, because, you know, they were obviously so invested in what was going on over there. And because it was so long, it was something that was always just pervasively a part of um, the conversation, I guess. And because my grandpa was a journalist and quite heavily involved in politics over there as well, um, you know, he knew people who were, you know, assassinated because of the war and and so on. So, um, 
you know, it's obviously a big part of that. And going back as I was growing up, you know, um, during one trip, there was a bomb that went off um, in, in the capital city. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it's weird to even be asked this because you're like, oh, I never really thought about it. But yeah, it's always been something that's been talked about and, and thought about, definitely. Often um, migrants have to change careers. It's a common story that uh people who were formerly doctors overseas come to Australia and then have to do a job, not not to disparage the you know, very important jobs of service people, but um, that they would otherwise be considered to be underqualified for. Um, your uh, mum, who I should mention, your super awesome mum, who I am very lucky <laughs> to work six metres from, so maybe at some stage so I'll weird. have to ask her, uh, in my other job, so maybe I'll have to ask her uh, these questions myself. <laughs> Um, but how did she manage to keep up the journalism trade when she came to Australia? Was that a challenge? Well, it's, it's really cool to see because, um, yeah, she, she had me the first year that my parents arrived here and she sort of, she was a newspaper journo back in Sri Lanka, um, for years before they moved here. And, um, yeah, she was doing sort of odd jobs for a while um, and then got a job as a researcher at SBS. And I always took that for granted. I never really thought about it. But, you know, it is weird that that happens to a lot of doctors and service people and so on who um, come here and then their qualifications are totally discounted. But it's really cool that my mum was able to almost surpass that and, um, yeah, get into the industry and, she worked for Dateline at SBS and the ABC um, after that. And, you know, she's killing it, which is really cool. Um, it's funny because you're like, oh, I, you know, I'm just doing what my parents are doing. But, um, you know, as I get older, I'm like more appreciative of how that surrounded me my whole life. And my dad started a business out of nothing. All this stuff is like, I don't know, you take it for granted and you're like, wow, that's actually pretty crazy. Like um, he started a small business. Um, yeah moving here with nothing and um, it's taken off and he's, you know, essentially helped us get through private schools and travel around the world and, and live a really amazing, comfortable life. So I'm really grateful that it's worked out for them that way because, um, you know, yeah, it, it just is a great migrant story, I guess, in that sense. It's a really wonderful migrant story. Yeah. In incredibly touching. I couldn't help thinking about your mum and that your mum's producing for yeah. uh, for a high-profile ta radio talent and now that her daughter, the next generation one, is that talent. It, like, it's so weird. It's like <laughs> un unbelievably warming and will make no doubt for a great autobiography one day. <laughs> Avani, next up we're playing some Kendrick Lamar. How do we go from your mum and your family to, to, to King Kendrick? Look, it's a weird tenuous connection, but, um, you know, a big part of my radio listening growing up was when my dad would pick me up every day from school. And as I got older through the years, um, I took full control of the radio station um, and I'd start playing like Triple J um, and later then FBI and <laughs> there'd be swearing in the songs and my dad would be like, oh, and I'd like slowly put the music down and they'd like put it back up so he could, wouldn't hear the swearing. It's like, I don't know why I thought that would um, mask any rude elements of the story, but that's what I do. Um, and 
yeah, you know, growing up, my brother was in the back seat. He's a few years younger than me. And he, um, it's, it's a weird experience when you go from being the older child who's influencing their brother's music taste to them influencing yours. And a big shared connection that me and my brother has, has, have is Kendrick Lamar. Um, seen him a few times together. We go to a lot of gigs together, me and my brother Seth, and Kendrick has got to be one of the best that I've ever seen. And, um, you know, his music's phenomenal. It's musically pushing boundaries. The messages that Kendrick has to offer to the rest of the world are incredible. Um, but he's just an amazing performer. So this song is Pride by Kendrick Lamar. Love's gonna get you Feel like we belong here I know the walls they can listen I wish they could talk back The hurt becomes repetition The love almost lost that Sick venom and men and women Overcome with pride A perfect world is never perfect Only filled with lies Promises 
hearts are broken and more resentment come alive. Race barriers making inferior, you and I see in a perfect world. I choose faith over riches, I'll choose work over bitches, I'll make schools out of prison, I'll take all the religions and put them all in one service just to tell them we ain't shit, but he's been perfect world. Get that hip-hop into you, Pride by Kendrick Lamar, live on your FBI radio and on podcast. This show is out of the box. And today, I'm very lucky to be speaking to Avani Dias. She's the new presenter of Hack, and before that, has had a pretty impressive career in Australian uh, media. What was your first job in Australian media, speaking of that? Um, So I had to kind of concurrently. I started out... um, I worked at FBI Radio, where we are at the moment. Um, I took a punt and I was in my first few weeks of uni. I was obsessed with the station. I was like, you know what? They're doing a volunteer intake. I'm going to go for it. Um, This guy named Johnny Lou um, contacted me being like, hey, you've got an interview. I was like, oh God, what am I going to wear? Am I going to be cool enough? Is this going to work out? Um, And then I met Johnny, who's now a very good friend of mine, and we have a shared group. But he was the first person that I met at FBI. Um, We ended up doing all-nighters together um, on FBI. We were in the same intake. And then we ended up doing a show together, Spin the Bottle, which still goes to air with Johnny on Saturdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Tune in. It's a great show. Legacy stuff. Legacy stuff. It's such a good show. Um, And... Yeah, so I started off on Frontline, sort of doing reception stuff, working in the music library, and you would know this more than anyone else, but FBI is just the most awesome place to do stuff. Um, Everyone mainly is a volunteer, so they're doing it purely out of the love for the station and, you know, pushing Sydney music, arts and culture to the rest of the country. And... um, I learned about radio. Um, The amazing Caroline Gates, who was the program director, taught me all the basics of how to be a radio journalist and a host. And I still carry all those lessons with me today. So, you know, a lot to be grateful for there. But more than anything else, it gave me a, a, a really amazing group of friends. My best friends are people that I've met at FBI. My housemate who I live with is someone I met at FBI Fergal. We met like eight years ago as well. Um, Just how it's shaped my life, I'm so grateful for. Um, And you're certainly not the only one. If you look at the current 
uh, Triple J roster. I know. You've just taken over. It's a. It's got to be what over seventy percent, maybe. A, I don't know FBI. if it's that much, but there's so many people that are it, FBI it seems a alumni. Very healthy group. What, what what is it about Triple J that um that that brings them such joy from FBI? <laughs> I think it's because FBI, um, you know, it attracts people who really care about um culture and music. But it is a really amazing training ground for young journalists. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're budding to, to get into the industry, to get into music, um, you know, you look around the industry now and it's all the people that I've been doing stuff with in, you know, eight, nine years ago, whether that's um, making record labels, um, putting on gigs and events, putting on the biggest festivals. They're all people in one way or another who have done something at FBI, which is a real testament to the station and how much um, it gives a platform to young people who have no experience at all. Like I walked in there and I'd never done anything to do with media. So it's really cool that way. The it seems that it's almost like kind of like a rite of passage in Australian media is the FBI radio all nighter. Totally. Uh, how did you go over <laughs> overnights? Oh, it was so crazy. I remember um, when I got in to do overnight um, all nighters, I was so excited. So I was one of like fourteen people, and um, our first show. I was so nervous. You start at one a.m. I was like. Um, you know, had a drink or two with friends at the pub and then they were all at our friend's house listening, which made it worse because you're like, you can kind of just be like, obviously no one's listening at this time. But then knowing that your friends are listening made it worse. And then me and um, Heidi Pett, who's another awesome journalist, um, we were doing our first show together and we were so nervous. You know, there's two ends to a usual radio studio we decided to sit together on one side so we could like help each other's nerves and we'd share the one microphone which was really weird and help press the buttons we'd be like this is the button this is the button and um fbi radio being community radio um is not receiving as much funding as it should from the government and it relies so heavily on the amazing supporters. But that means that um, the equipment doesn't get upgraded very often. So we were playing songs out of two CD players. I don't know if that's how it works now. but um, So you'd play... We've had a slight update. It's just a slight update. Not, so the, <laughs> um, not, not an enormous one. Yeah, but fair enough. Something mild, yeah. Um, and so, you know, you'd play one song from one CD and then the next song from the other CD... But for some reason, we kept playing the first CD. So we played the same song three times in a row. And people started texting in being like, can you stop playing that song? We've already heard it. I was, we were like, okay, it's good that people are listening, but this is pretty bad. And we just had to let it run through each time because we didn't know that we could just, you know, address it and move on. Um, and that song was tightened up by the Black Keys.
tightened up by the Black Keys and the all-nighter shifts of, An- of Avani Dias. Uh, the FBI alumni is now the presenter full-time of uh, Triple J Hack, the News and Current Affairs program there starting next year. Today, I'm very lucky to have her on Out of the Box. Uh, Avani, around 2015, you're a couple of years into a media career. How the bloody hell did you end up in Darwin? <laughs> um, look, it's it was I'd never been to Darwin before. Um, so, yeah, I'd never even stepped into the Northern Territory. But I went for the ABC cadetship. It was um, – I'd gone for it a few times before and got rejected. And then finally I got through and, and got it, which was awesome. And they said, what are your top three destinations to travel to? And I said Darwin was number one. Um, I'm not sure why. I kind of just said it in the pressure of the interview and then um, – but I, I knew that so many awesome journalists at the ABC have had a stint at in Darwin at one point or another. Almost all the foreign coros that you see um, all over TV, radio, online have done some kind of stint there. And so I thought, you know, there's got to be something good about going to Darwin. And then I got it. Um, and so I was shipped over there. I had no idea what I was doing. And it ended up being such an amazing part of my life. Um, I feel so grateful to have gone there. It, it's also one of the most bizarre parts because you do the wildest stories in the Northern Territory. Um, on my first day, I got in. I was like, you know, really nervous, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, oh, this man's body has been found He's been murdered on this very prominent main road. There's like a ba- basically a trail of blood leading to his body. It's 9am in the morning, so it's broad daylight. Can you go and cover this story for all platforms? And I was like, what? This is so weird. And, you know, it really was the best place to cut your teeth and still is the best place. Hang on, hang on. What happened when you got there? Um, so I got there and it turned out this guy had been stabbed in a domestic kind of dispute overnight. Um, and it was sort of over the weekend and then it was a Monday morning that this body was found. And, um, you know, he basically, yeah, it it was a domestic dispute and years, a few years later, um, a guy was found guilty of murdering him. Did you see his body that morning? I didn't see the body, but I saw the trail of blood, um, which was really confronting. What's and it like being on an active crime scene? It's quite an alarming thing. I it guess is. It's, it's part of journalism, so it's just you, you can talk about it as a run-of-the-mill activity. I know, I know. It's weird that I even just glossed over it, actually, now that I think about it. But it was really, you know, I was in the hyped-up situation of trying to cover a breaking news story. I was doing crosses on News 24 ABC News 24 and, you know, trying to file for everything and make sure I did um, everything correctly because it was my time to prove myself, right? But, you know, you do think about it. There were there were people everywhere. Everything was cordoned off. And the weirdest part was because we were on a main road, everyone's just driving past kind of looking and there's all these cops and investigators trying to figure out exactly what had gone wrong. Um, yeah, and it, I've covered heaps of crime scenes since then and – yeah, the confronting ones are when the body is able to be seen um, because it's it's harrowing, really, to see that kind of stuff. Um, luckily, there's lots of support to kind of help people, journos, I guess, deal with that. But um, it, it's a crazy thing to see and it is a part of the job, unfortunately. Um, but that first story was, was, yeah, it was crazy and, and a big one. 
What about crocodiles? Am I stereotyping or is that? <laughs> well, is that part you are stereotyping, but it is part of the <laughs> trade. <laughs> I did so many croc stories, and it's crazy because, you know, Darwin's such a beautiful, tropical, lush place. And um, the crocodiles and the crazy animals up there are part of why it's so adventurous and wild to kind of live there. Um, they are actual deadly creatures. There's a beautiful ocean. It's blue, crystal blue, and you can't swim in it because there's crocodiles in there. But yeah, I did every kind of croc story from like croc farming, croc handbags, croc shoes, croc crocodile attacks, several crocodile attacks, um, people with pet crocodiles in their backyards, which was weird. Um, crocs getting bigger, crocs moving further down south, every croc story. So yeah. Ebony, what do we want to play for the top end? What, what track can we do now? So, you know, Darwin is an amazing place to live at if you're a young person working in almost any industry because like that first day where I covered that murder, you're doing the job of someone way more senior than you at a very young age because there's no hierarchy really um, because, you know, you, the newsroom is a great example. It's almost all young journalists and there's a few great senior journos, but you get a real run, which you wouldn't get in Sydney or any other state in the country, I think. And part of that means a lot of young people move to the territory. Again, I met amazing people, some of my best friends there in the three years that I lived there. And it means everyone's really willing to make friends really quickly because no one's from there. And we'd go to these awesome house parties all the time. I mean, everyone, everyone would live in like beautiful tropical houses. You'd pay the same rent, way less actually, that you would in Sydney, but you'd get this beautiful elevated home with a pool and like a rainforest surrounding you. It was like such a nice life. And, um, you know, you're just in the stifling humidity and – um, everyone was obsessed with this band called B2M, which um, are a band. They're a boy band, which is the true way to describe them. They're kind of like the Backstreet Boys, but of the Tiwi Islands, which is um, sort of 20-minute flight south, um, north of um, Darwin. And they went off. Their gigs were so much fun. Everyone in the territory would get into them. This song by B2M is called Palangari, and it goes off at every single house party in the NT that I went to. Stronger, better future. Better find a good 
B2M and Palingari, the Backstreet Boys of the Atiwi Islands, says Avani Dias. Uh, my guest on Out of the Box today is the new presenter of Triple J Hack. You can catch us, of course, on podcast uh, at any time, anywhere. Uh, Avani, now that you've risen to what would be quite a senior position in Australian media. You have a large audience and a large profile, obviously with a big team behind you. Do you think much about your approach to media insofar as now you might be able to influence the sorts of news that it, the sort of news that's at the front of the national agenda to an extent? Do, do you have a, a, a kind of theory around that? That's a massive question. Um, to be honest, like, you know, that's something that um, I, I've been asked in different iterations. I guess even like going to the NT and, you know, I guess people are like, are you, do you feel like you're changing something? Do you feel like you're doing anything? And then, you know, it can get really disheartening when you see the same things and the same problems, institutional issues constantly come up and up over and over again. Um, you know, I tried to not think about it too much as this overarching thing where I'm somehow influencing or changing the world. But um, I think the way that I want to approach Hack as I take over as host, and I guess it's something that I've just naturally kind of been drawn to, is that, you know, the best stuff that we do at Hack is when we give a voice to people who have been screwed over by massive institutions, whether that's, you know, a young Indigenous man who's um, been shot dead in police custody or a Muslim man who, a Muslim uni student who's wrongly accused of terror offences or a young person in regional Australia who can't reach mental health support that they need. I think that's the best stuff that we do and I want to do more of it. And I think that that's what's really special about Hack as a show and a platform is that it always, above anything else, preferences the voices of young people. And that's what's really special and what I feel really proud to be to be taking over, I guess, at the show. And, you know, if in some way that goes to changing the narrative in Australia in, in whatever small way, then that's incredible. And, and I feel privileged that I could even be involved in that in some way but you know I think hopefully if we go in with that attitude of um, giving those voices the first go then then we'll be doing something even small that could could help things. Are there are there sensitivities that you bring to those sorts of stories given your own personal background? 
Well, I feel that everyone brings their background and their perspective into the journalism that they do, and I'm no different. Um, I've had a upbringing that's similar to heaps of different Australians, um, and a lot of those people are the kids of migrants. And unfortunately, people like me aren't in the media as much as we should be, um, and that's why we need to make the media more diverse because the more diverse it becomes, the more those stories and those perspectives will influence the the kind of content that we create and I think that's really important to change attitudes of Australians naturally because that's just what happens right um all of that stuff is natural it all feeds into the stuff that we do and um hopefully you know it is getting better as I said at the start but hopefully it continues to change and um you know I don't think I'm some kind of amazing like anomaly that's pushing things forward or anything like that. But, um, you know, I think it's really important that different perspectives, and that's not just people of colour, that's people from all different backgrounds, um, whether that's people who have a mental illness, who grew up in the country um, or grew up in, on, in Sydney, you know, I think we need all those perspectives to make a media that reflects the country that we are. Well, with that calls, call to arms, what do you want to play out with today? Um, look, I think I'm going to play a song by one of my favourite Sydney bands, Cloud Control. Um, they started here at FBI. They That's why they became famous. They played at the FBI Turns 10 gig, which was probably five years ago now. And, um, you know, Sydney's music scene its cultural scene is incredible. We're so lucky to be a part of it and so lucky to have a station like FBI that champions these things. And I've seen Cloud Control a billion times, um, but this is one of my favourite songs, There's Nothing in the Water We Can't Fight. Well, with that, as every week, may the sun shine over our wonderful producers, uh, Bree Jones and Rebecca Merrick. Avani Dias, thank you so much for being my guest on Out of the Box today. Thank you.
This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.